You're listening to the Property Nomads podcast, your one-stop shop for property, business, and travel-related content, tying it all together to help guide you towards success. If you like the podcast, please share with others, subscribe, and leave us a review. So get your gear together and let's get going. Welcome to another episode of the Property Nomads podcast. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Stuart Lorden, the property investor, husband, and a father based in Hawley, which is near Gatwick Airport. Stuart has been in property for a very long time, created a very successful property business, but also had um, many years experience working at uh, senior level positions in various industries, invested in property for over 10 years, has made significant gains in the market as such uh, in the last two years specifically, with a healthy rent roll of properties and returns and so forth. That's probably the worst introduction, Stuart, I've ever done. I do apologise for that. Uh, anything else you'd like to add to that? <laughs> no, I mean, you covered off a few things there. Yeah, as you said, um, a husband, first and foremost, married for over 13 years, father of four kids, ranging from 11 down to two, including twin girls. And yeah, we've we've owned property. Well, I've owned property since the early 2000s, became that ubiquitous accidental landlord back in around 2006 2007 you know went full-time into property a few years ago really sort of focusing on a on an HMO strategy to to deliver that out but doing a couple of other things as well so I think you know in terms of property and and me you, you've you've covered it off there really well thank you very much I, I will apologize but I know that's one of the worst intros I've ever done but thank you uh, anyway so in terms of what got you into property in the first place, it sounds like there's a lot of corporate experience there that you've touched upon. What drove you to deciding to invest into bricks and mortar in the first place? Well, I think like most people, or a lot of people at least, I looked at a number of different avenues. So I guess just to step back quickly, why did I start looking at alternative routes of income? Well, that was because I was working in corporate land and it wasn't that I disliked it. I actually, you know, I was working with a really good boss at the time and did enjoy what I was doing. The, the challenge I had was because I had a young family, I found myself leaving the house before they woke up and I would invariably get home when they were in bed. And I realized that actually that, that it couldn't continue. And because, you know, when I started to question why I did what I did, because I think most of us, you know, certainly my case anyway, why do I do what I do? Why do I work hard? Why am I trying to earn this money? Well, I want to support the family. Why do I want to support the family? Well, of course, primarily they need supporting, but also because they're my family and I want to spend time with them. And then if if the if what I'm doing takes me away from that family, then there's kind of a bit of a sort of an incongruence there for me, which sort of needed solving. So I started looking at other routes to income, I looked at a number of different things from franchises to other businesses and started looking at property and i'm you know i'm desperately trying to think you know where the idea of property came from but it probably came from the fact that we we owned a property uh, we still own the property actually a studio flat in kingston and that was renting quite nicely and it had a lot of capital appreciation so i started to get interested in that and as always when you start to do a bit of googling a bit of podcast searching you know it's quite a lot of information on property so that seemed like a really good vehicle for a number of reasons one of them being capital appreciation. So not only do you have an investment that could provide you with cash flow, but also there would be this capital appreciation. And hopefully 
that over time, because that what that's what happened with our studio flat, is that, that, that the value of the asset would increase as well. So that that kind of like led me into property, really. If that answers that question. Yeah, absolutely. So it's in in a nutshell, it's a very long term, very long term approach that you're taking with this, uh, because you can see the economic advantages of obtaining and holding property over time. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And I think that's what I say to anyone. I think whether or not people say it overtly, I really do feel within the sort of property sector that there's this sort of subliminal, you know, information and advice that, you know, start investing in property and this time next year we'll all be millionaires, Rodney, that sort of thing. And I don't think, you know, not everybody says that, but I kind of feel like that's the approach. And in any of my conversations, when people sort of talk to me about property, I always say, as far as I'm concerned, it's a medium to long term game. And, And by that, I mean, when I'm investing in property, I'm not really thinking about huge returns immediately, although, of course, that, that they'll be great. But ideally, from three to five years onwards, that's where I expect to see the benefit. And also the properties I buy, I'm not even thinking about what I need to do with them, you know, for five years plus. As a general rule, obviously, there are things that that, that break those rules. And there's some properties that, you know, that I've only owned for two years where I'm looking to, say, split the freehold, for example. But to, to the point around long term, it's it's absolutely for me, it's a long term play. And I think like a lot of us that are in property, certainly my experience is that if I'm investing into HMOs, I've got a number of those, um, then, you know, it can take 12 to 18 months, sometimes longer for them to actually break even as their own sort of profit center. So on the face of it, they're really good investments. But you know, I always say to people, you know, depending on strategy and amount of cash, it's, they're not going to necessarily give you that instant income that that some might have you believe. And a lot of people would say on, you know, on HMOs as as well. And again, this would depend on area and how um, how the demographics are changing, you know, job opportunities, etc., are changing. Some people might cite HMOs as being quite a massive headache in comparison to say a a single buy to let. Of course, there's loads of extenuating factors on there. How gives you lettings agent? How gives you advertising, marketing, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. How have you found your experience of keeping your HMOs full? Have has that been quite successful so far? And if so, what would you attribute that to? Historically, it's been successful. I would say that the market is definitely changing. So my HMOs are predominantly student. So we have around 40 rooms. I would say 95% of those rooms are student. And historically, uh, they filled pretty well. I mean, I've always said that our occupancy rate is around 98%. And and typically, for the first couple of years, we only ever had one room, not the same room, but uh, one room that, that, that wouldn't rent, for example. That's changing because the market's changing um, in terms of purpose-built student accommodation. But historically, the, the student worked really well because the model we worked with was essentially it's it's a no bills, no fees, no deposit route, which was instantly appealing to students. We also had a 50 week rental model. So once students are in, that's that's obviously 50 weeks. So there's only two weeks where those rooms aren't rented. And that's when you, you kind of want to do your maintenance, that kind of thing. And I would also largely attribute that down to having a very good agent and 
any advice for anyone doing this uh you know in whichever area but obviously i do it quite i say obviously but i do it, i do it remotely so uh, i'm a couple of hundred miles away from you know the southwest where i invest and you know the, the the team of people that you use your sort of virtual team if you like or the power team as we're saying uh, as people are saying property is really really important and in terms of lettings you know the agents are, you know, i spent a time a lot of time looking at different agents and what they did so looking at them from a consumer perspective so you know how were they advertising to potential student tenants where were they advertising and the tenant, the agency that I used had very good, strong links and still do with the university itself and would be present on you know, certain days, you know, freshers, weeks, that kind of thing, which which showed they had a, a really good partnership with the university, which made me a lot more comfortable. And that's proven to be true, although, as I say, the last sort of six to eight months have become a bit more challenging because of other factors in the environment at this point i should point out that name your company's lord panda property and you say that you take uninspired properties and create premium living spaces it's a very very uh, very very good way of, of putting it why, why the southwest you're based in surrey you're based near gatwick airport so why did you choose the southwest yeah nothing too uh, complicated really i've got friends down in plymouth and i was spending a lot of time going down there you know once at least once every couple of months visiting friends down there once I decided to start investing in property, I obviously looked at Surrey and then looked at uh, the South Plymouth. And, you know, at that time, you know, the first property I bought down in Plymouth was a one bed flat for 73,000. Now, I know depending on where you are in the country, 73,000 can sound about right, could sound expensive. But from where I am, 73,000 sounded like a very good price compared to you know one bed flats in and around the area i'm in even at that time uh, a few years back would have been anywhere from 150 160 to 200 that was you know one of the first reasons so i bought uh, bought that one bed down in plymouth uh, just to, to have a look at the market and that went quite well so then obviously looking at various factors as we do you know, we, we talk about, you know, looking at good infrastructure. Is there a tenant demand? So obviously, in, in my case, there, there was a university. There was a, it was a good hub. There was some investment going into the city. There is industry there. And that's why I decided to continue investing into Plymouth. And as I'm, uh, I'm sure you're uh, well aware as well, Robert, once, you, once you've got that momentum, it's very hard to shift. Um, so I have looked at doing things more locally to me. But what that means is I then have to start building relationships, building relationships with builders, building relationships with new, uh, new trades, new agents and that sort of thing. So given that I felt things were working for me in Plymouth and I already had that thing that I think is really hard to get, which is momentum, I decided to keep the momentum down in Plymouth and to you know, suffer the suffer the occasional long journeys that I do down there just to keep that momentum going. I'm sure the journeys aren't that bad. How, how do you do that? Train or car? Yeah, either. Um, you know, but I, I always say I don't think it matters which way you travel down to Plymouth from where I am. It's always going to take four hours. I've just I've tried it every which way. I've you know I um I sometimes do some work in Paddington in London and get the train out from there uh, via via your sort of football team's place in Reading 
uh, you know, and that takes four hours from Paddington. If I drive, it usually takes me about four hours. And uh, yeah, I imagine even if I was able to get to 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 schedule a or charter a, a, a two seater plane, it would probably take me about four hours as well. Just um, <laughs> I'm just convinced there is it's in some sort of strange place that always takes four hours to get to. What I love about what <laughs> what you just said there about Plymouth is it's got fantastic fundamentals and we always talk about people always talk about when you're looking to invest in property or you're looking to go into a particular area is look at the fundamentals i mean plymouth's got a very well established naval history i think it's the biggest city in devon if i'm not mistaken by population um great rail links i think it's got a mini airport as well uh, university okay football team you know a really big catchment area so that's important to anyone that's listening that might not have invested yet. Look at your area, look at your fundamentals. And it's not always the case of the bigger, the better, but somewhere like Plymouth is a standout place because of its catchment area. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that that is really important. And the only thing I'd add to that is, you know, most areas will have those things. I think my experience says it's really important just to do some of the groundwork in those areas because you know as we well know you could have two streets that are parallel to each other that might be 30 seconds apart from each other but could be very different streets to invest in so as trite as it sounds getting to know the area is quite important as well as well as having all those fundamentals because it could just be that the street you know the two streets you're looking at one is is, is deemed as okay the other street you know people wouldn't want to touch with a barge pole so getting to know your area speaking to agents speaking to local people picking up local papers as well really helps to just get under the skin of those sort of fundamentals and understand the area a little bit better and that takes time that doesn't happen overnight especially if you're new to an area obviously as you've alluded to you're back and forth from Plymouth visiting friends family and so forth so you would have gained knowledge over time if someone's taking this completely brand new these little things hints tips tricks whatever you want to call them it, it all takes time to to research and to really get involved uh, and get a good feel for an area yeah and i think it's a really important thing to talk about because uh, i was no different when i when i left my full-time job in july of 2016 it was around july 2016 in my head i was going to build 100 rooms within the next 12 months that that was the intention at that time which which didn't which didn't quite happen because I can now sort of laugh you know at the naivety of thinking I do that now I, I did manage to you know build about sort of 37 rooms in about 18 months but what I have realized and it took me that time is that it does take that time and and most of us I mean you know myself and I'm talking from my own personal experiences I you know I'm very impatient for these things to happen however you know what like you've just said it does take time and also relationships you, you can't build really good trusted relationships overnight it's not going to happen I mean the first builders that I used again I, I'm not going to speak negatively of them but it didn't it didn't work out I mean the, the the way they worked wasn't how I wanted to work in terms of you know their processes and uh, you know and the way they sort of invoiced and you know I wasn't always aware of additional costs that kind of thing now again I won't denigrate the people because, you know, the, the guys I worked with were good guys. But, you know, so that took, you know, the first build, the first refurb, you know, that was three, four months. And then I had to get another builder to do the next project. And it's taken time to build a relationship with him. And then, you know, 
a year and a half, two years on, we've got a really good relationship, you know, so much so where, you know, he'll say to me, Stuart, if you want me to go and look at a place before you come down, I'll go get the keys, I'll have a look. You know, he comes and looks at properties with me. Uh, you know, if, if they're at auction, we'll, we'll have a walk around. Again, these things are great. But back to the point is that that just did, I just didn't meet a builder on day one. So, right, can you just come to an auction with me? Because, again, they don't know me and I don't know them. And they, and they don't know, you know, whether I'm just going to be one of these people that, that gets them to, to make loads of quotes and never gives them any business. So I think that is it's a really important point to make. If things do take time, we can we can hopefully expedite certain areas. But, you know, investing, understanding areas, building relationships will take time. And it's always better to recognise that. And as, as you said, it you, you know, as, as an investor, we don't want to be perceived as a people that are always trying to take builders round and, oh, yeah, can you quote for this? Can you quote for that? And then, you know, never give them any work because it's a two-way street at the end of the day. You'll get, a, I assume if that happens, or if people have done that, then they'll get quite a negative reputation quite quickly. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, and as we would feel the same, I think, like most things, it's not rocket science, is it really? It's just, you know, try and treat others as we would wish to be treated and that's you know I try and be as as transparent as I can as open as I can and so when things don't work out as they invariably won't you know we can have good conversations about it and and move on rather than if we're trying to be self-serving and just looking out for ourselves then eventually you know the the other party will, will, will just you know see that really and and do the, and do likewise you know and and that won't you know create you know partnerships which have longevity basically yeah that won't be good for anyone involved at all uh, Stuart in terms of challenges because you know, property's not plain sailing and as you've alluded to people sometimes paint this picture that we'll go away we'll come back next year and you know, we'll be millionaires and we'll be you know dancing around in pots of gold and you know Liverpool might win the league yeah, anything can happen in life what would you say the biggest challenges have been so far? Yeah, well, um, I'm still visualising people dancing in pots of gold. I've just got leprechauns in my head now, Robert, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, for me, the, the biggest challenge I've faced is actually getting the cash flow of, of the business sorted. And the more people I speak to in business, just, not just not just with property businesses, but in business full stop, have said that that is the biggest challenge and uh, you know I work in a co-working space there's lots of people with, with different types of businesses and you know some of them when I talk about cash flow just look at me as to say you know why are you surprised but again I think when when so from my experience coming from the p- property side of things people don't always talk about this so openly we talk about the, you know the, the the pluses you know the really good stuff which is yes you can buy a, a, a property for that fabled you know, below market value and add value. And, and that does happen. And I've, I've experienced that. But underneath that, if you're trying to build a business, you know, it, it can be quite tough. And my experience quite recently, actually, was getting to a business to a state where the, the cash flow wasn't really covering enough of the outgoings. And that, that was for a number of factors. We had too many costs in the business, which, frankly, I hadn't paid enough attention to. So I just got so busy with the building as in building the business, buying properties, focusing on the finance of those properties, working with investors, getting the refurbs to happen, that I really didn't focus on some of the details that I should have. 
So, you know, when and I'm talking about th- just things like utilities, gas and electric, broadband. You know, we provide all of that in all of the properties as part of the service. And the margins weren't great. So, you know, and I sometimes feel stupid even for saying this because it's just so blooming simple. But I had to, you know, to really focus in the last six months. All right, how do we drive all of the costs to be as low as they can be? So I've spent a lot of time, you know, looking at the utilities, driving those costs down. Silly little thing. Well, not silly, but things like so in um, shared housing properties, HMOs like student housing, you know, they, you know, they're going to put the heating on. There's no one in that house generally thinking, oh, maybe we've had the heating on for 14 hours. Should we, should we switch it off? They just open a window. <laughs> so, you know, things like that were really costing my business. And I had some other cash flow challenges where, so letting agents, for example, would take a float. So they would keep a float. And for, for that many rooms, we're talking about quite a few thousand pounds. And they kept that float for, and again, it was transparent. They weren't, weren't hiding anything, but it was to cover excessive bills. And I spoke with them and said, Look, I understand why you're doing that. Because if if a bill comes in, the, the letting agent doesn't want to have to pay for that. They need it to come from my company or from the rental. It, you know, it's going to come from the rental. But I said, you know, what's happening is because I'm protecting your cash flow, mine's suffering. So basically, you know, just working out new ways of working. So I said, look, you can just have you, you have my card details. I'll take that float money back. If the rent doesn't cover any excessive bills, that's fine. You've got my card. You take the money. So just all these little things um, made a difference to the cash flow. And the other one I started talking about the heating was uh, we, we've just I just put in timeo stats in all of the properties. And essentially what that means is that and again, it's, it's, of course, it's legal when I want to make sure all of the tenants are happy and they're warm and they, they feel secure. So, you know, that that's you know, that's taken as a given. However, what I didn't want is just, you know, heating left on full for seven days a week, uh, you know, 52 weeks of the year. And what timer stats do is just means that um, they can put the uh, temperature up to the maximum limit, which has been set. But also once it's really simple, they just push one button and the heating comes on for two hours. And that just means, you know, they'll go and sit down and after two hours it will go off. And then obviously once they feel like they need to put it back on it, they'll go put it put it back on again but it, it just little things like this which i hadn't thought through properly when i was building the business which was costing the business a lot of money and you know it's now starting to take shape so you know we've had a number of challenges around cost as well as you know you we, we talk about uh, you know occupancy so if the rooms are full that's fine but you know you get one or two rooms that aren't full then having higher costs has a bigger impact because obviously your margin drops, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, hope, hopefully that just describes some of the challenges we've faced in the last year and what, you know, a couple of little small things that we've done to address those. I think that's absolutely fantastic. And in, in terms of what you've discovered wasn't working quite well and then what you've done to correct that. And I think for you know everyone listening, it, you know, for, forgive, forgive me if I'm wrong, but it seems to be, you know, this, massive thing and i think it's social media driven you know basically how big are your cojones you know how many properties you've got who's got the most amount of properties right who's you know I, i've got 20 okay great well i've got 50 i'm doing better than you etc 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 it's quite easy to have a higher number of properties yes and you know well done to people that have got that but if you are able to manage everything effectively as you've just said Stuart, you you know really gone down on the nitty gritty and trying to get every the, the 
process run is smoother you don't always need a massive 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 portfolio if you can get what you've got to work even better than it already is and hopefully that makes some sort of sense yeah absolutely and you know there's two words you've just said there systems and processes and my experience is that you know i did not put any focus onto any of that because it just feels so simple right you know you buy a house you give it to a letting agent Robert's your father's brother what you know what what else do we need to do but without a system or a process in hand it's, it's very difficult to know where you stand and if I could take my time back rather than just you know running full pace at at this thing and, and and trying to put as many properties into the business as I could I'd actually just slow down do the first property make sure that I knew exactly what the system was for uh, tenant find in terms of the infrastructure in terms of utilities everything else make sure that that first property was delivering what it needed to in terms of cash flow and then I would cut and paste and I'd do number two and then I'd do it again my challenge was because I'd put so many rooms together so quickly which which was which was great from a from an ego perspective but not so great from a cash flow perspective and as we know if 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 the if the business isn't whatever the business is property or otherwise if, it, if it's not generating cash it's not going to exist it's not going to exist for very long so um it's really really important to focus on it totally agree totally agree on that you also mentioned um about your know, fabled below market value deals etc would you be okay to run through maybe uh, some numbers of a a deal that you've done maybe most recently or, or maybe the best deal you've got in your portfolio just so people can get an idea of um, sort of some of the numbers associated with buying and converting to HMO? Yeah, I've got a couple. Uh, the most recent one I did, which, again, I, I wouldn't say the numbers are that fantastic. So recently did a five bed, so bought a five bed property for around 185. And we spent about 50 grand on that. So it was a five bed property just with a single bathroom. Really nice property, three stories. We bought that for 185. We spent about 50 on it, so that takes you up to about 235. And then, you know, we got we got that. Uh, what well, sorry, what we did to that was we turned that into four ensuite bedrooms, and then the smallest room has its own private bathroom. So just across the hall, it's got its own private bathroom. And that's that's in terms of the aesthetics, the best property we've done. That actually got valued by the bank at 260. So we managed to pull, essentially, we pulled out the refurb costs. In terms of the numbers there, obviously, again, I haven't included, you know, stamp duty. So, so we've still got money in the property, uh, deposit and stamp duty. However, because of the the quality of the, the property, it's, it's, it's rented pretty well and it's above the, you know, the, the, what was the current ceiling in that area. So, for example, like one of the, the biggest room, which is, I would say, is more like a studio flat. Um, when the agent first came around, he said, yeah, we'll put this on for, let's uh, say, 495 a month. And I said, well, let, let, let's try it at 525. And he said, look, there's nothing else on the market for, for that price. But I said, look, this, we've just redone this. It's really nice. You know, we... I annoyed the builder by getting him to put sleeper tracks on walls, you know, that that kind of thing, just to just to add some you know, personality to the property. Still not as much as I'd have liked, but you know, this is, we, we're still learning ourselves. And we put it on for five two five, and you know, someone rented it within a week. So 
you know that that was that one uh, and so that was really good in terms of okay so we took our refurb cost back out and then we can go and use that and then you know hopefully in, in a couple of years time we can further refinance that the one before that and this this is i would say this is an outlier this isn't the, a norm for me you know some of them have just broken even but i bought a 13 bed at the back end of well so nearly two years ago now so back end of 2017 bought a 13 bed which was actually a six bed and a seven bed on the same freehold and the owners the, the original owners had run into some financial difficulties for whatever reason so had gone to auction and i think a number of factors went in my favor on that one in terms of the auction was actually in london as opposed to plymouth so I, you know, my my view was that that would reduce the the number of people certainly present and and that happened to be the case um long story short we got that property for around 540 didn't actually have to spend that much on it it was a very big property uh like i say 13 beds they were already all on suite it had uh, had a little gym in it and uh we just did a bit of painting i think we did spend around 12k just on you know the buff and fluff just the, the tidying up and everything else so i spent 12k on that and got an extremely favorable um valuation on that about two months later so i bought that on a bridge two months later uh, they valued the bank valued that at 735 which was really good and you know and i say to everyone that you know that is this never happened to me before i'm not expecting it to happen again anytime soon but so you know that that was valued at 200k more than i paid for it even though i'd spent only 12k on it now yeah the bank's protected itself on that and we we didn't get the uh, as high a loan to value as we do on some of the properties but you know that 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 to me just showed that the model can work and what i also liked about the property and what i do think about on, on most of these properties is the different exits so i'm currently in the process of splitting the title on on that property and you know potentially looking at offloading one of them and keeping the other just to again increase the uh you know the, the capital back into the business basically gets get some funds back into the business to support other things so th there's a couple of examples of, of what can happen also you know on the on the you know that that sounds great and we'd all love those but you know another the, the most recent one actually which is which has just happened was um we offered on a one bed flat in croydon and we only completed on that two weeks ago so that's taken eight and a half months now there's going to be yeah we hope some really good uplift in that because we're going to take it from a one bed to a two bed and we we estimate the increase in value to be somewhere to brexit depending 70 and 100k with with not too much cost we, we think the reef we're going to move uh the you know kitchen and create a new bedroom but we 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 think we'll take the value of the flat to somewhere around 350 uh, and again we're talking about london here so it, you know we can take the value of the flat to about 350 we hope or, or more and you know purchase price was considerably less than that but you know if we look at it it's taken us it will take us a year to have purchased and bought the property so again if you, if you then looked at the profit and spread that over the year then it's it's not looking as great you know if there's a couple of you working on that project uh, so again it could be really really good project but it's going to take a lot of time so you know there's just a just a handful of examples hopefully that helps that just goes to prove that there's you know having a multitude of exits having a good understanding of what you're doing and having a good understanding of the area 
and again takes time to build up that knowledge uh, well, that just shows that you can reap many rewards um as you've just shown by having a you know a wide range of properties in different areas and different strategies so yeah hopefully that will inspire other other people uh, as well yeah i think for me it's really important to, to know your strategy and be focused clearly focus is really really important but also what's what happens if it all goes wrong you know the, the phrase that always stayed with me you know throughout my career is always you know plan for the worst but expect the best so as, you know as long as we've planned for worst case scenario should that happen and obviously we hope it doesn't but should that happen then then we know we've got a plan so most of the properties i buy you know the one that i talked about bought for 185 that revalued at 260 that's a three-story victorian house and if the market changes as is now happening you know the my view was always on that well we could convert it into three flats uh we could convert it into two flats you know but there would be at least two or three options other than just using it as an hmo property and it's the same with the with the uh the two properties on one freehold i I always wanted to split the freehold because that just just makes it easier to deal with and also opens up the market in terms of mortgage products as well and also they could be split into flats themselves so again number of options but or, you know, first priority was I want them to be HMOs. That's always what I want to do. But are there second and third options in case we can't do what we want to do? Yeah, and it's crucial that you always, 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 you should have at least two exit strategies. Don't just rely on having one, because if that doesn't go to plan, then you're in a bit of a pickle. So I think that's very wise and sensible that you are saying that you at least have two or sometimes three different exits on the same building. And that's that's a massive learning for again anyone that's thinking about getting involved in property or might be relatively new you've got to have multiple exit strategies we can't underline how significant that actually is yeah absolutely perfect any final words of wisdom Stuart you shared a hell of a lot of great information so far but any final words of wisdom any other experiences that you want to touch in upon that you think might help people listening i think the key is we've, we've talked about a lot of the important factors as far as i'm concerned that is you know a focus is a big one and, it, and that's that is it's even harder in the beginning than it is once you start to understand there is particularly in property there are so many different strategies or you know approaches you know are we going to go for houses in multiple occupation could we look at service to accommodation what about rent to rent i'm looking at these things as well by the way, so it's not, you know, I don't just do one strategy as a, you know, I've just talked about a flat that we're actually converting, but it's really important to get one focus and focus on building that out and, and trying to build it as well as you can. There's so much information. I think it's, you know, one of the challenges of property now, we've got so much information out there that it's, that it's very easy to slip into, you know, just reading, trying to understand. I think I would say focus is key, but also action, you know, actually going out there and doing something. Don't don't be afraid. You know, I think the biggest fear in property is obviously we're dealing with, you know, much larger sums of money than we might be used to dealing with in our personal lives. You know, professionally, we might have dealt with large sums for. But, you know, we've always considered that as other people's money. But when it's dealing with property, we, we can get fearful. And I'd say, you know, just start like a lot of us do. You know, I started with a small flat and then you get experience of. You know, working with estate agents, letting agents, builders, 
uh, mortgage brokers, accountants, you know, so on and so forth. And actually you can start building up that way. But for me, you know, just, just taking some form of considered action is, is, is really key. And, um, yeah, then just, just go for it really. Awesome stuff. Well, Stuart, really appreciate the time that you've taken out for today. I do want to point out as well, though, that you do host a podcast yourself. So can you tell us a little bit more about that and then how we can find the podcast and yourself as well on, on social media? Oh, yeah. Thanks a lot for for reminding me of that. Yeah, my podcast is Executive Juice, and that's found on all major uh, podcast players as well. So usual Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Republic, so on and so forth. It's really a podcast where I, I just wanted to set out to meet other business owners. And I think one thing that really struck me was, particularly in a property, it's very easy to start thinking property by property as opposed to property is a business you know it should be a business it should run as any other business so I really wanted to get out there and start speaking with other entrepreneurs founders CEOs even you know spoken with your good self as well uh, which will be part of our property series we're going to do a, a property series in the new year and yeah it's really just about getting under the skin of you know a, very much like this understanding what their key learnings and what the biggest failures have been because that's where the learning comes from and yeah, that kind of thing. So yeah, if, if anyone wants to listen, just search Executive Juice or go to the executivejuice.com website where you can subscribe there. And for me, it's really simple. I'm just on LinkedIn, Stuart Lorden, L-O-R-D-A-N. I, I think I'm probably the only one on there with that name. So should should be fairly easy to find. And that's how people can reach out. Perfect stuff. Okay. Well, Stuart, on that note, I just want to say thank you. Thank you very much for your time. We'll put uh, those links and so forth in our show notes as well. And uh yeah people listening to the property nomads podcast go check out executive juice really cool podcast and best of luck with your investing yeah thanks robert thanks for having me on the show